Man, are y'all ready for the word? I'm going to be honest with y'all. I haven't preached in so long, so now that I'm kind of preaching again, I got so much to say. <laughs> I feel bad for y'all, man, because I'm about to really be out here talking, talking. Y'all ready? I usually only have three pages of notes today. Last week I had six pages. Today I hit a six page again. But I'm going to keep it in the minutes, I promise, I promise, I promise. Man, tonight I'm super excited because we're starting, we're opening uh, a sermon series titled This Is Me. This sermon series, uh, just to let you know what it's about, it's about identity. It's about us figuring out who we are. Man, I kind of want to like jump right into preaching, but I want to do like, I just want to tell you how my week has been. Is that okay? Bruh, so I played ball the other day. I'm not going to lie, I was hooping. I got people here that can tell you that I was hooping because they were there. They saw it. I'm not going to tell you how much I scored. I'm just saying it was a lot. All right? I play basketball. That's what I do. This week I was playing ball. Bruh. So I was a little upset too because I felt like they were trying to give me the, the, the team that wasn't as experienced. So I had to really ball out. I was really upset. And I was going off. Me and my boy Josh was going off, hooping. And I run into the paint because I'm just trying to win. So I, for girls who don't know what that is, it's like the, the inside. Never mind. Um, so I run into the middle of the court. And when I do that, I like stomp. And when I do that, like I literally throw up my entire lower back. Like, like I felt old. I'm still in my 20s. I don't even know why I'm even using the word old. I'm not old. But it hurt so crazy that I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to preach. Like, I'm not, like right now, I'm in pain. All right? So I know you guys are probably like, you know, Pastor Shot is mad chill today. Like he's usually like running all over the place by now. I can't move. Like even if I tried. I'm a little hurt today. Um, that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to let you know, just so you could pray for me. Is that all right? Can you guys pray for me? I'm in pain right now as we speak. If God can do a miracle right now, I would accept it. If not, it's cool too. Tonight we're talking about sermon series, This Is Me. We're going to just jump right into it. I could have done that before. I told you that ridiculous story. But I just want to let you know my back hurts. Okay. Sermon series titled, This Is Me. We're talking about identity. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about identity. Who am I? And to introduce this to us, the, the verse that I want to introduce this idea of your identity and being in Christ it's found in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. So we're talking about the beginning, beginning, like, like when Jesus wasn't even around on the earth, just God, just on this thing, making all the decisions. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. Somebody say his own. So God created mankind. God created. Who created so God created mankind in his own image. And there was this rapper I used to hear. He used to say, um, he was rapping from the perspective of God. And he was like, I made you in my image. So why are you acting like an animal? That's, that was the bar. Like, why are you acting like an animal? I made you in my image. That's what, that's what God is saying. God is saying, so God created mankind in his own image. Not in the image of an animal. Not in the image of, like, no. Like, I didn't, like, we weren't created 
with the intentions of just being walkers on this earth. We weren't created with, with, with no potential. When God created us, he created us in his image. He created us like him. It's in the image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. This scripture, what it's basically trying to get across to us is that our creator, the one who designed us, the one who gave us and who is in, in charge of our image, that person who created us is God. We find our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. And as a Christian, as a believer, this is what, like, one of the main things that we believe, that our identity is found in Christ. What does that mean? That means that culture cannot tell me who I am or who I'm supposed to be. Culture can, like, like, like social media can't tell me that I got to be a troll because everyone's a troll. Like, things can't, like... At the end of the day, my identity is not found in what's put in front of me on a magazine. My identity is found in Christ. Why is that important to know? That's super important to know because when it comes to Scripture, it's super easy, it's easy for us to fall into the shade of the Bible. For example, we say, well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, obey the law of the land. So if I go to California and California weed is legal, I can obey the law of the land. Yikes. Why? Because that's what the culture says is okay. But you weren't created in the image of the culture. You was created in the image of God. So God, he kind of frames us and he lets us know, hey, listen, the culture doesn't shape you. Your school doesn't shape you. Music doesn't shape you. I shape you. I created you. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. I got to chill. We find our identity in Christ. Why? And if you're like, please take notes. Please. Like, because God tests us. Only way I pass tests is with a note. Some of y'all pass it without studying. That's not going to happen in, in, in life. You got you to gotta study the word of God. You got to study what Jesus teaches you. You got to mark it, inscribe it into your brain. The word says, the Bible says, I got to inscribe his words into my mind. I've got to get them in me. You got to get it inside of you. Write these notes down. It says, we find our identity in Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because he created us. For example, I have an uncle. I believe that my uncle, Avery, is probably the top three funniest men on this planet. My uncle, Avery, he, well, actually, his son is here. Will, Will's here, his dad. Yo, Avery is the funniest man on the planet. Have me, he will have you dying rolling on the floor. He's probably just the funniest person in my family, period. And my uncle, he is the funny guy, and just so ironically, not only is he the funny guy, but every barbecue, he's the guy on the grill. You ever seen on Twitter, like, the guy with, like, they got, like, the grill master 3000s? Like, he owns those. Like, not the Crocs. Like, he wears the actual leather, open-toe, weird-looking shoe, slipper, weird leather, brown, uh, like, Yo, he be whipping it. And he is just the best barbecue person in our entire family. And he actually has a signature sauce. I'm gonna put you on to the signature sauce, okay? The name of this signature sauce is called the Boom Boom Sauce, okay? Now, you might ask, who, why would he name it 
the boom boom sauce. And you know, it's real easy to say, you're just trying to be funny. You're just trying to make people laugh. But if you tasted the sauce, you would understand why it was called the boom boom sauce. It's because first you look at it and it doesn't look super sweet, but when you try it, the thing is he put some honey in it, but y'all don't even know that. That's the thing, y'all don't even know that. So he puts the honey in it and when you try it, you get the first kick, like boom, ooh, that's sweet. But then as it sits, you start to taste the, the, the chili in it, the, the flakes, and you, and you get another boom. And that's the spice, a.k.a. boom boom sauce. It makes sense, y'all. Boom boom sauce. And everyone would ask him, every time we would, like, introduce this, like, boom boom, every time we'd bring it up, we'd be like, yo, just like, no, you don't get it, you'll get it when you try it. And they're like, who called it boom boom sauce? And we tell them, listen, this guy called it, why did he call it? He called it and gave it a name and gave its identity. Why? Because he created it. The problem is... We're allowing people to tell us who we are and they didn't create us. And that's where the confusion is. We allow people to say what we feel like and we take, oh, you leave it sour, you, you're not sweet and spicy, you're sweet and sour, you leave a sour taste in my mouth. We allow people to tell us who we are instead of allowing God to tell us who we are. Point number one, I want you to write this down. Your identity comes from your creator. Your identity, it comes from from the person that created you. Why is this important to know? This is important to know, and I'm going to make it real simple. This is how I'm going to explain it. There's a guy who, you know, we love. You probably know him as like a legend in the Hall of Fame for the MOB, but we know him, New Birth, the church. We know him as a close friend, Mariano Rivera. He's like the greatest Yankee ever. If you guys know who he is, he's just the dopest guy ever. But if you didn't know this, actually the room that you're sitting in, he paid for this entire property. So you're actually sitting on an investment from this guy that I'm talking about. So, you know, he met my dad not so long ago. He fell in love with him. They had amazing relationships. When we began to start a church, he made it his business to sow a seed. And, and he actually covered everything from chairs to sound. To light. Like he just was like, I got it. It's on me. Um, start your church. I love you, pastor. Go ahead. Well, as we get to know this guy and as we get to talk to him more, um, my dad got the opportunity to link him with someone else who was very connected to a high school in Chicago. So my dad allowed this guy, Mariano Rivera, to then give a little speech to the M to the, uh, the baseball players of that Chicago team. Apparently, that Chicago team was pretty nice. So the OG came through and just spoke to them, gave them some words. But here's the cool part. The cool part is, is that Mariano Rivera was actually going over there because he was doing a fundraiser, a fundraiser that, that had to do with helping, uh, helping those who were unfortunate. It was about something that had to give to those that didn't have an opportunity, something super major in his city, in New York City, where he actually played. And he's saying this, and this man Mariano Rivera is in a, in, in a table, and my dad's there because he's cool with Mariano, but everybody else in that table, they got some money, okay? They got the big bucks. They're they, they making it rain. And Mariano's like, yo, listen, we need to raise money because there's a cause. And Mariano Rivera tells this story. It's a beautiful story. He tells a story about back in Panama when he was learning how to play baseball. He would play baseball every single day. Every single day. But the problem was Mariano did not have a baseball glove. So he said that what his friends would do is that his friends would walk on the side of the road and they'd look for a cardboard box. They'd break a cardboard box off to get a nice square and then they would 
fold it up and make a glove with it. And they would play baseball in Panama, and when they would throw it, they would hit it, and what they would use to block the impact of the baseball shattering their hand is a piece of cardboard. Cardboard. <laughs> cardboard. This glove is garbage. This glove is trash. So Mariano, he's sitting here, and he's telling them, he's like, you know, I got cardboard on me right now. You got all these millionaires sitting at a table. Mariano's trying to fundraise, and he said, I got cardboard on me right now. Let me show you how we used to make it. He starts folding it up, folding it up, smacking it. You know how basically they're mad extra. You know, basically, like, doing the whole signs, like, <laughs> baseball players are mad extra. He's smacking it, making sure it's getting nice and, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I said it. smacking it, he's getting it good, he's folding it, and he looks at them, and he says, this is what I used to play with, and right now, I'm over 90 million dollars, but this is what I used to base my life upon, and I made a career off of first starting with this right here, and then he looks at the table, he says, I'm selling it, who wants it, let's fundraise, the one guy goes to say, I'll buy it for a thousand, another guy says, I'll give you five thousand, I want five of them, and the next thing you know, he starts going a little, he starts folding it like Santa's little helpers, and they start folding a car to sell for a thousand dollars but that's trash but it's garbage when you look at it it's garbage but when you look at who created it it adds way more value way more value why is this so important? As a youth pastor, you don't know how many girls and boys I sit with and they tell me, listen, you don't understand. I feel like garbage. I feel like nobody loves me. I feel like I have no worth. And I'm listening and I'm sitting and then tears are falling down their eyes. This said, man, I feel lonely. Ever since he left me, I felt like no one could complete me. Ever since she broke my heart, I feel alone. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, if only you knew who created you. They're telling me how worthless they feel. And I'm like, if only you knew who created you. You feel like garbage? Okay. You feel like, like, like something is as, as so non-useful as a, as a piece of cardboard on the side of the street? Okay. Because it's not about you, it's about who created you. It's not about you, it's about who created you. For today, our scripture is found in Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. And it says this, it's so important for us to know this in this story. And I'm about to read it, but it's so important for us to understand who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to first century Jews. This is the first beginning of uh, something amazing and Jesus enters into this world as a first century Jew. That's important to know. Not only does Jesus enter into this world as a first century Jew, but and what does that mean, right? Like what's a first century Jew? That's like saying, you know, Jesus entered this world as a first century, like you're a 21st century Puerto Rican, probably, if you're in this room, or Dominican, or I don't know, or black, I, I really don't know. You're, you're, you're a 21st century. This is the, a first century Jew. That's who Jesus is. 
If I tell you that you're a 21st century Puerto Rican, nine times out of 10, if I'm just going off the top of my head, 21st century Puerto Rican, um, hmm, I, I might have some ideas of what you look like. It's important for us to understand that certain phrases and certain things in certain cultures are important because if we don't understand these cultures, then we miss what God is trying to say through the scripture. Because if I'm a Puerto Rican and you're talking some Jamaican stuff, and I don't know, I have no idea because I don't know your culture. But if I understand the culture, I can understand the context. This is the context. This is the culture. Jesus is a first century Jew. He walks into this story that we're about to read. And as he walks into this story, the people that are surrounding him are these people called Pharisees. Somebody say Pharisees. There's a, come on, somebody say Pharisees. Every time I hear the word Pharisees, they say like Pharisees, like so strong. Come on, say Pharisees on three. One, two, three. Too quick for some of y'all. One, two, three. Ah. One, two. Ah. <laughs> Got him. There was these people called Pharisees. Not only was there people called Pharisees, but there was this regular believers of Jesus. Not only was there regular believers of Jesus, but there was just regular people. The Bible lets us know this is just a normal crowd, but it's a mixed crowd. But the reason why this is such an important setting is because in this group, there are Pharisees. What are Pharisees? To give you a brief kind of information on what a Pharisee is, back then, we have to understand that whatever Jesus said, whatever God proclaimed, that was the law. It wasn't like you had an option. Like, that was the law that they put into, whoa, Jesus, I almost died. Whoa, my life lasts before my eyes. Pray for me. What was that? I don't even, I just, I almost died. I don't even know. Okay, yeah, boom. The law. Back in those days, whatever God said, was that was the law. So you have to understand, who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? Those are the people that literally all day study the law, study scripture, study the Bible. Why? Because they're the ones that, are, that decide on what everyone agrees to be the truth. That what is the Bible trying to say? This is what it's saying. What is the, the correct context? This is what it is. And everyone in the city knew these people. They reverenced these people. They loved these people. And they gave them so much respect. Why? Because these people were basically the people that studied the law. They were people that everyone, they just knew. Because back then, whatever God says, that's what went. And back then, God was doing stuff like breaking up the middle of the floor and people fall in in the middle and then he'll close the floor back up so people saw that and they're like listen God is running everything whatever he says goes whatever law he says goes and our job is to read that scripture decipher it and that's what makes us the most important people to this society is because we are the ones who are entrusted with the job of deciphering God's word is law so everyone looked at the Pharisees and they're like you're everything. You're the exact pinnacle of what a Christian is. You're the person that God chose to decipher and teach us what his scriptures even mean. You Pharisees are everything. And they looked at them and they honored them. And the Pharisees, their chest got out. And they were like, yeah, I'm a Pharisee. Yeah. I, I read the law. Yeah, I do this, I do that. Jesus is explaining this, and when the Bible says 
that when Jesus sees this, this scenery of, of Pharisees and mixed people and how the mixed crowd is looking at the Pharisees and how the Pharisees are reacting to the attention of the mixed crowd and Jesus is compelled to use a parable. What is a parable? A parable is something super easy to explain. A parable is a story with a heavenly concept. It is an earthly story with a heavenly concept. It is when God uses a regular story to teach us heavenly values. And when Jesus sees the Pharisees and he sees the crowd, he looks at them and he's compelled to say this. What does he say? The Bible says the parable of the two sons. Jesus walks up and he automatically, he sees the two crowds and he starts with this question. He says, what do you think? So Jesus wasn't even talking. Jesus was just chilling. It's a crowd of people. And Jesus just comes out and he's like, what do you think? Look at what he says. There's a man who had two sons. Why is Jesus talking about sons? Why is Jesus talking about a son and a father? Because Jesus, like I said, is a first century Jew. Back then, the culture was, you need to respect your father. Back then, if you were to do something to disrespect your father, you would, look as, you would be looked at as someone that nobody respected, that nobody cared about, because that was what it was. For example, you know, us culture and Puerto Ricans, families, like, one of the main things is like, you better finish your food. Man, raise your hand if you ever had to finish something. You know you had no business eating. Like, this is definitely going to mess up my stomach. I got practice later. Another thing that's like a cultural thing for us is like, you know, you got that. You got, you got, you know, you, if your mom cooks, you have to eat. That's another one. You could go get Wendy's, eat all of that four for four, come back home, and there's a plate. And if you say no, you might as well pack your bags. Another one, a lot of Puerto Ricans say this, I hate this, I had to learn it. Anytime somebody's eating, you have to, when you walk by them, you gotta say, uh, Ben Provecho. Ben Pro. That. You gotta say that. I don't know why all of our culture revolves around food too, by the way, right? Like, why does all of our cultural wrongs revolve around food? Yeah, Ben Povecho, you got to say that. Back then, a cultural norm was, you better respect your dad. A cultural norm, whatever he says to do, you better, yes, sir. So Jesus, he looks at these people, and he's compelled to reference a son and a dad. And what is Jesus doing? He's paralleling us, who we are, the sons and the daughters of God father in the story is God. And look at what Jesus says. He says, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and said, son, go and work today on the vineyard. I will not answer. I will not. So violent. So, so disrespectful. Bible says, he says, I will not answer. But later, somebody say, but later. 
changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing to him. And he answered, I will, sir. The first one didn't say, sir. He just said, I will not. First of all, have any of you ever told your parents you wasn't going to do something and lived to talk about it? If you did, pray for me. What I look like telling my mom and dad what I'm not going to do? Do this. I will not. I dare you. Naturally, I don't dare you. I don't dare you. But I dare you. The first thing your parents tell you to do the next time you see them, the very next thing, just say, I will not, and just see what happens. Hey, bro, come on, help me watch the car. I will not. Don't do it, but do it. And tell me what happened, but don't tell him I told you to do it. I'm kidding, don't do it. Unless it's a joke and, like, you record it and they know it's a joke later. But don't, like, use me to disrespect your parents. I just got to say that. I got I to gotta say it in the fine print. He says, I will not. But later he changed his mind. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. Sir. Oh, sir. I will. Oh, sire. What do you need from me? I come to the helm of your garments. I lay my life at your soul, and I come and say, what do you need, master? What do you need from me? In my flesh and blood, I'll give it. I will, sir. But he did not go. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Jesus asked. And they answered, the first, the first son, the one who wasn't as cordial and as political, but the one who was a little bit mad, but ended up doing what his father told him. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors, which are the thieves, and the prostitutes, which are the prostitutes, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's looking at the Pharisees, the people who decipher what the Bible even means. This is the law. And Jesus is looking at them. And he's like, yo, you know you ain't who you say you are. You know you ain't what you really, you, in, in the synagogue and in the church, you're like, yes, sir. We give you glory. But at home, you talk about those who don't look like you. But in your rooms, you talk about the Christians that weren't sanctified. These people judged people who served the same God they served. And Jesus is like, I know your image looks great, Pharisee. I know everybody loves you, but you're a mess. And I'll know about you. But I have had, like, I'm, 
like, okay, I'm familiar with messes. I'm not dirty. But I've made a couple messes in my fair share of times as being a child. Um, my mom might say I still struggle with that today. I'm not going to say I disagree. <laughs> I get that. Like, like for, for example, just tell me if you agree with me. Why am I going to put the bed back? I'm going to sleep in it tonight. I'm you know I'm, you know I'm going to sleep back in this bed. You know, but you, as long as we both know, clean the house, people are coming over. Are they staying over? And if they are, why is my room up for grabs? I remember when I was younger, my mom, she'd be like, yo, you got to clean your room. And like, for a while, I hated it because I'm like, my, my thing is, I'm not dirty. I just know I could clean the room real quick. So it's like, I could just do that later. I'm going to do that right now. Right now I'm on TikTok. Just let me do this for the little four hours I do it. When I'm ready, I'll jump back on. I'm on 2K, just chill. It's not that like I'm dirty. I just got better things to do. Like chew my nails. I don't want to clean my room. I remember my mom would tell me, clean your room. And it came to the point where, you know, I have like maybe some kicks. And it first started with like, you know, I'll be walking past the closet and I'll just kick some kicks into the closet. Now I got some clothes thrown around and before you know it, any little article of clothing I found on the floor, I just, you know, throw it in the closet, throw it in the closet, throw it in the closet, throw it in the closet. And I remember one time, you know, after like four years maybe, I'm kidding. But after a long time of throwing stuff in the closet, it was like a, it was almost like a mountain. And, you know, I'm short now, but back then I was a lot smaller. So I'm just like looking up. I'm trying to see if it's the same height as me. I'm looking at this mountain of clothes and I'm like, okay, now I'm really not putting this away. <laughs> like if you thought I wasn't putting it away before, this is way too hard to do now. Man. Days go by. I keep OD. I keep OD. I remember we invited some people over, and my mom, she was coming over. She said, yo, clean your room. I was like, uh, all right. I'm just going in. I'm, I literally just came home from school. She said, clean your room. They're coming. They're on their way like five minutes. I'm throwing stuff. They're about to check your rooms. Oh, my God. It's about to go down. I'm throwing everything in the closet. Just <laughs> launching them. As soon as I finish, I close the door, and when I close it, my mom is in front of me with the two guests, and I'm like, hey, she's like, you clean your room? And I was like, yeah, just don't go in the closet. Just, just don't go in the closet, as long as you just don't go in the closet. What am I trying to say, y'all? So many times, God walks into our life, and we show him this image that everything is okay with. But before you know it, we're telling God, hey, God, I'll let you in. Just don't touch my, my attitude, please. God, I, I, I'm going to let you in, I promise. But just do not look at my grudges. Do not look at what I struggle with. Do not look at my addictions. And Jesus, he's looking at the rooms of our lives and he's saying, yo, on the outside, you look great, but your house, your life is a mess. 
I remember one day my mom finally saw that brush. She was like, clean it. I opened that closet, bro, an avalanche. Ah, y'all ever see Mulan? The avalanche. I wasn't even Mulan. I was a little squirt thing. Going crazy. problem is the people wait so long to open their closet and when they finally do that's the thing that takes them away from God because now it's too big now it's too much to deal with point number two write this down just because it's hidden doesn't mean it's healed just because you can mask this feeling that that breakup didn't harm you, that doesn't mean you're healed. You have to be healed. You have to go after this healing. And although you might have this image as if everything is okay, God is looking at you and he's saying, yo, I'm here to show me what's really going on. I'll close right now. I'm pretty much done. I got two minutes. I'm closing. And, you know, I want to just jump off of the image for a second. I know we've been hounding that for the last couple minutes. But as a human, you want to know my problem with this is, as a human, like as a human, my issue with this text is that the Bible says that, let's just read it, let's just go back up. The Bible says right here, it says, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. I will not answer it. The son, he looks at his father and he disrespects his father. He doesn't call him sir. He doesn't call him sire. He's just, no, I will not. He disrespects his father. Then when you look at the other son, although he doesn't initially disrespect his father, because he lies to his father, he dishonors his father. My problem with this story is, why did the father ask the second son? Because if this story is a parable, and the sons represent us, and the father represents God, why does Jesus mention that in this story, not only does Jesus talk to the first son, knowing that he's going to disrespect him, but change his mind? And as if that wasn't enough pain for the father already to be disrespected. Knowing that the second son will not only lie to his face, but when he turns his back, he'll do something. And he said he would. And I'm looking at the story, and I'm like, okay. God knows that the first son is going to do what he does. But why would God even ask the second son, knowing that he's going to lie to him, knowing that, the, like, the first son, he was rude, but at least the job got done. The second son, he lied, and the job didn't get done. And God, he looks at this son, and he asks him anyway. He says, can you do me a favor? Can you do something for me? I know you're going to say no and do it anyway, but I'm going to ask you. But then he walks to the second son, knowing that that son is going to lie to his face. And he asks him anyway. This is the very thought. This is the very idea that 
bends the minds of people who study the Bible. This is the very thought that puts people in a craze. It makes them go crazy when they think of Jesus. Because when they think about Jesus, they remind themselves of when Jesus, think about it, the Friday before Jesus died. The Friday before he dies. Bible says he's sitting in a table with 12 of his disciples. And the Bible, he, Bible says, he says, one of y'all going to betray me. One of y'all. God, if someone's going to betray you, why are, they even, why are you even letting them eat with you? God is, Jesus said, one of you guys are going to betray me. One of you guys are going to do me dirty. The Bible says that Peter, he even listens to this. And Peter, he goes up to, to, to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I'd never do that to you. Jesus looks at him. Jesus says, oh, you talk tough. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Before the day breaks. Why does he say before the rooster crows? Because, you know, the rooster crows in the morning. He says, before the, break, the day breaks, after I die, before the day breaks. What does Jesus say? Before I'm even fully gone, before that day is over, you will deny me three times. And he sits there, and he eats with him. It's this thought that people, they look at Christianity and they say, why would Jesus sit in a room with people? Why would he ask the question? Why would he even make, why would, like, like you sent your son, your only son, to die on the cross for people that might even turn their back on question they ask is why does Jesus do it? Point number three. Because Jesus loves us. Because Jesus loves us. Because Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. People can't explain it. They can't. But he loves you. He created you. He wanted you to have his image, and he's looking at you, and he's saying, listen, I know you're telling everybody, everybody, everything's great, but I know you're dealing with some things. And yeah, you might not do what I'm going to ask you to do. And yeah, you might turn your back on me, but I'm going to make it available to you anyway.